Do you want to hear about great work happening in schools around the world? Just Schools are life-giving places that address feedback, engagement, and well-being for each student. Dr. John Eckert digs deep into the current educational landscape with research, experience, and a good dose of humor and humility. Join us in the desire to do justice, love kindness, and walk with confident humility. Get inspired with stories of improvement in the profession that makes all others possible. Today, you get to hear from Sierra Downs and Eli Spector, two amazing educators from Colorado. And in this episode, they talk about the wonder and magic that their school really helps to build into the way they think about education. This conversation happened at the end of 10 intensive days, and you can hear the tiredness in my voice as I was listening again. But I I want you to hear the joy that comes from the work that they're doing. And make sure you listen to the end because I think it'll be an encouragement to you. I'm excited today because we have two colleagues from the same school who started the Baylor master's program in school leadership this summer. And it's kind of a first for us. We haven't had this happen. It's an international program where we have people from three countries, 13 states. So we get a range of amazing educators, but they rarely come together. So we have Sierra and Eli here today. I'll let them introduce themselves and how they ended up at their school in Colorado and a little bit about the context of that school. And then we're going to jump into some questions about what it looks like to go through a master's program with a colleague from the same school. So we'll start with you, Sierra. Um, Hi, I am Sierra Downs. Um, I'm the director of student guidance at the school, um, but I actually started there as a history teacher. Um, But I truly started there as a kindergartner. Um, So I actually went to the school that I teach at now, Front Range Christian School, um, K through 12. I had an older sister who went there. She was five years older than me. um, And my parents were very involved in the start of the school and all the way through. So I kind of was raised in the hallways there um, and graduated, went to college and ended up coming back and teaching there, um, starting my career as a history teacher there. Um, So yeah, very, very crazy. If you would have asked me my senior year if I wanted to come back and teach there. Um, I didn't even know that I wanted to be a teacher necessarily my senior year. Um, But yeah, I felt like my time there was done. I had enjoyed my high school years there, my elementary, everything. But I was done. You know, you fly the coop. You've been in that that kind of bubble for a long time. Um, But I have been so, so encouraged by, um, if anything, just the direction that the school is moving. Um, It has felt like just this very cool thing when I get tastes of it and I kind of get to peek behind the curtain. It feels like a very cool thing that I just like, I can't walk away from it. I want to be a part of it. And I think that's a lot of why I ended up coming back um, and surprising my my 18-year-old self and um, working there again. So I'm glad to be there. And how long have you been there again? Three years Three now. years. Yep. Okay. Yep. All right. Eli, what about you? Yeah, I've been at Front Range for, I think this is my 12th year. It might be my 11th year. Because you started in kindergarten too and you're now oh, a senior. goodness, no. No, <laughs> no. Um, no, I started uh, at Front Range as a Bible teacher, okay. and most of that time has been as a Bible teacher and uh, Bible department chair and uh, and that type of stuff. And then in the last two years, there's been a move into administration. So, this is the end of my second year as principal at Front Range, uh, and I would echo a lot of the things that Sierra has said in the sense of it's, it's a different feeling school than it mm-hmm. was a decade ago. Mm-hmm. Can you can you point to like what what are the positive things? So like what what are you seeing that makes it feel tangibly different? Yeah, I, I mean it, it's interesting, and, and we might get into this some, but 
as we went as we went through this past week, we ended up sharing a lot of stories and a lot of memories just mm -hmm. because of the nature of the prompts and the class mm -hmm. discussions and a lot of those things. And I'm thinking about a story that Sierra told about watching uh, a senior high student sit and basically cry with a junior high student and just take care of them and the way mm -hmm. that, that you'll talk in class and the way you'll write and just teaching about well-being and everything kind of starting with well-being mm. and it did not used to feel that way and it feels much more that way now and uh, there's probably a variety of reasons why but that's been a fun as a as both a teacher and an administrator just someone who cares about the place it's fun to watch that garden grow mm. yeah mm. yeah yeah i think i would definitely echo so much of that i think yeah, we do well-being there in a way that's very intentional. Yeah. Um, and yeah, if, if education is about seeing the whole person and the education of the whole person, um, I'm just so encouraged by how much that matters, um, tangibly mm. matters to our teachers and our our, ed our administration, our families. Um, I also, I mean, it's hard to pinpoint exactly what it means by, like what I mean by this, but we say it a lot. It's just kind of language we throw around, but um, there's just like, magic there and hmm. it's something i haven't found in other educational spaces and i think so much of it has been tied back to individual edu educators there um, who made their classrooms and their classroom content feel like your eyes are being opened or hmm. like feel like eli will tell a story of um, of his daughter like walking up to the edge of a lake at the end of a hike and just sitting there and looking at it like hmm. that wonder um, that I think our educators individually really foster um, within their own classrooms. And that starts to spill out into the hallways. It spills out in the ways that kids talk about um, what mm -hmm. they're learning and make connections between what they're learning. And um, yeah, so that academic excellence piece also just mm -hmm. like it, it balances with well-being in a way that's just so compelling. So, mm -hmm. Well, it's helpful that you're in Colorado for the wonder for sure. That's, oh, yeah. uh, that's a nice yeah. thing, but it is a mindset shift. And you said academic excellence feeds well-being in mm -hmm. so many schools that are high achieving schools. That's sometimes seen as their competing interests. Like mm -hmm. students put a lot of pressure on their performance. That's, that's everything that they're measured by. That's how they weigh their own worth. And so it's, contradictory to well-being so somehow you all have found a way and while I, it feels like magic in cultures where this happens there are intentional things that have happened sometimes by individuals it may not be organizationally or systemically but there are people that are doing things that allow that to become a place where kids are well and they are flourishing and right now that's pretty rare a lot of schools would not describe themselves that way so maybe just highlight one or two things that you've seen other educators do that really prioritize well-being in a way that also feeds academic excellence. Yeah, I, I'll go first on this one because I have a specific teacher in mind, which, you know, if he ends up listening to this would be great, but that's Phil Schultz. Mm -hmm. And you write about it in Just Teaching. You write about quirkiness. Yes. About, yes. about being a quirky person and making it okay for students to be quirky. Mm -hmm. And he does this fully. He goes, yeah. mm -hmm. he just full on is, mm -hmm. is himself a quirky person, but then he really lets students be that mm -hmm. with, with him. And it. it's so good. It's yeah. just so, so good. And, and if you think, well, that, how does that tie back to academic excellence or any of that? He, he can seemingly shift gears. He can yes. be super, super yes. quirky. And then all of a sudden yes. now I'm, I'm expecting this very difficult thing from you and kids will follow him there. Right. 
whether or not there's a grade attached at that point, yeah. you know, they'll just go with him. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing that's so hard to replicate because people can do that because it's from it's from his authentic self and it works. It's kind of like the uh, Jim Banducci smooth calls mm. that smooth. I did. Like <laughs> smooth works for me. Somebody else does that. It may not work. And so that's for those of you listening, I would call parents of kids who got the highest score on the test and i would just leave a message that said smooth and i'd hang up and it's all from the legend <laughs> of a custodian we had in chicago that i took to tennessee this the legend with me and it took me no time to make that positive contact it was a reward for academic excellence and it was free and it was just this weird whatever but with seventh graders they love weird and you just have to own it because they're in a super awkward stage and then what that does is it communicates it's okay to be different it's more interesting to be different and so that quirkiness mm -hmm. is is validated by phil phil schultz that was yeah, yeah, phil phil. Schultz, yeah. his his quirkiness is like hey this is okay and it's cool to be weird because when teachers try to be cool that's when things go very badly yeah, uh, yeah. so yeah. that's it all right sierra what would you say um i mean it's hard again yeah i just have someone who comes to mind pretty quickly um but kelly stidham is a is our english teacher um mm -hmm. she's our the head of the english department at our school um and she i mean i've known her you know i went to the school so she was my teacher she knew me when i was a little seventh grader with bangs and braces and just <laughs> living <laughs> just your best life exactly yes <laughs> yeah. thank you that was my yeah. peak really yeah <laughs> um but yeah she i mean walking alongside her or her walking alongside me i guess as i grew up and then coming back and becoming her co-worker and just seeing um what she does in her classroom. Um, she truly is a master teacher. She's mm -hmm. someone, and I, I wouldn't say that about most people um, in education, but her craft, she owns her craft. Um, but I think what really stands out to me about her is just her great love of what is mm -hmm. true. Um, and she finds what is true in stories and helps other people see that in a really beautiful way. Um, but she's just honest. She mm -hmm. is like, she's one of those people who you know, it's like, um, Brene Brown's idea of like the square squad of like, yeah. who are the people whose opinion matters to you? Um, and she very quickly just through the way that she spoke to me and gave me and my friends advice outside of, you know, class or walked alongside us and struggles we had. Um, that person was the same person who found truth and was honest about what she saw in literature. Mm. Um, and those two things coming together, I think mm. in, in the, her character and in the way she loved her craft. Yeah. Yeah, that was beautiful. Well, and for those of you listening, Dare to Lead, Brene Brown writes about the Square Squad, and it's not people who are your quote-unquote best friends. They may mm. be in the mix, but if they're people that are going to tell you the truth, even yeah. when it's hard. And they're yeah. going to tell it to you in love, but they're going to give you that honest feedback. And so, that's what great teachers do. So, the whole end of the Just Teaching book is all on feedback because that's how we get better. And feedback is not in contradiction to well-being. That's mm. how you feed well-being, by giving people, like, hey, here's where you're at. Here are some mm -hmm. things that you could do to move to the next level, and I'm going to be there to help you. And I think, you know, the two teachers you described, that's clearly what they do, and that's what makes – so, great teaching is hard because it's you got to do that for each kid, but it really isn't that complicated in its mm -hmm. essence. And so, I think sometimes we overcomplicate things, and it mm -hmm. feels like Front Range may have figured some of this stuff out. Or you may have a critical mass of teachers mm -hmm. who have. So, as you go back to leading, and then I want to jump into what the, how the program's been for you, but as you go back into leading, how do you take some of these individual practices and make them more systemic? How do you mm -hmm. make sure it's permeating all parts of front range? Yeah, I, again, what's what's in my mind, I'll, I'll speak first here, what's in my mind is the, the avenues that I'm not currently or that we're not currently making good use of. 
to make things institutionalized. So, for instance, I'm looking at staff meetings or the way that we have run staff meetings and why, why are we not being more intentional about what we celebrate mm-hmm. and celebrating yeah. these practices yeah. that we know make a difference about well-being or engagement or feedback. And, yeah, we, there, are, there are avenues that we could be making better use of. And that's where a lot of my head has been as I've started really today to think about going back and mm. re-entering, yeah. Yeah, yeah re-entry is real. We don't want to have a camp high that ends up on a reality low uh, come yeah. August. So, But at least you have a partner going back to you. So Sierra, I want you to answer that question as well, and then I want to jump into what it's been like to be here together. Yeah, I mean, I would just totally echo that. I think that, I mean, it was funny that we've talked actually a lot about affirmation and feedback and what that means to to people in general but um for our teachers i think a lot about literally a couple weeks ago we were sitting together at our leadership summit that we do at the beginning of the summer um and one of the things we were talking about in a a project that we wanted to start kind of at the school next year was focusing on how we celebrate our teachers and Mm -hmm. not only i think it's especially in small christian schools it's easy to be like to you know write letters to our teachers and tell them how much they impacted our personal lives. And that's huge. I mean, that doesn't happen everywhere. That's so important. But I think that sometimes that comes at the expense of celebrating, like carving out space to celebrate their professional successes um, and to validate them in the eyes of the community and the students as like masters at their craft and as people who work hard and and do well what they you know have committed to um in their role and so i think finding ways to celebrate their professional successes too Mm. really matter yeah i love that so these two weeks you've gotten hit with 45 different authors (laughs) i don't know maybe 15 writing assignments it's a semester's worth of two classes in eight days and so as you walk away from this period, what are your takeaways? You're like, hey, this was really valuable to have Sierra here. It was really valuable to have Eli here because everybody, almost everybody else is going back alone to a campus yeah. that didn't have those readings, didn't have those experiences, didn't have that connection with others. So what, what would be the big value-added takeaways that you, you would see, especially as coming together as a team? Yeah, I'll, I'll go first if you're mm-hmm. okay with it. Okay. Um, Really, I think about I think about this in two different directions. There's there's the the real or the practical or the the logistical. There there's a difference in having two people here. More important than that, though, is I think the the emotional. Mm. Uh, for for me, this is one of the. It has been one of the highlights of my entire professional existence really Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's like sierra is a former student that i got to teach and then to get to go through this with her is just emotionally really meaningful Mm. to me right and then there are there are these practical uh, realities where it is hard i think to believe in collective leadership Mm -hmm. sometimes yeah you question whether or not it's just an ideal Right. Mm-hmm. Is yeah. this is this an ideal that's even attainable? Is mm-hmm. it an ideal that yeah, and, and it I think it at times will feel like we are only barely moving the needle. Mm-hmm. Uh and if you're isolated in that endeavor, I imagine it's it's easy to give up on mm-hmm. on that dream. Whereas the two of us, it's even already before before we've even left, it feels like, oh no, we're gonna do we're gonna do some stuff. Mm-hmm. And you talk a lot about how this is oriented around work and mm-hmm. collective leadership is a thing that's oriented around doing stuff and doing the work. And 
when that's what it feels like is we already have things we're going to go back and do and we're going to do those mm-hmm. things together and and so it's it, i think it's hugely encouraging mm-hmm. uh in addition we end up already before we're leaving having somebody else to bounce the yeah. the idea mm-hmm. off of and so the things that i thought oh this is a such a great idea she's already <laughs> shot down and said don't don't try that mm-hmm. and that that honing process of feedback has happened even earlier in the in the process of the development of the idea so it's mm-hmm. been so good it's mm-hmm. just been so so good yeah so the big insight there from eli is Learning about collective leadership alone is not as good about learning with, about collective leadership with another. Again, and this is the fundamental problem with a master's degree because it is an individual endeavor typically where, where we do things with the center, we bring teams together. So typically it would be front range with multiple people hashing it out. It's messy. It's hard. But we have to believe collective leadership works because if it's work toward shared goals, what else are we doing? So I think what will sustain you two moving forward is that you have work that you want to do. Mm-hmm. It's not a, hey, we feel good. We're a team. Yay. It's like, okay, we're going to tackle this. And then that's what will bring more people to the work, which will then broaden your team and broaden impact. So Sierra, what else would you add? Yeah. I mean, I think it's it kind of goes off of something you said of like, how do you do collective leadership alone? Like you don't, that's inherently wrong. <laughs> like, right. It's not possible. Uh, exa- yeah. So I think. Well, and you we can't lead alone either fundamentally, mm-hmm. but people yep. think they can. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, if somebody's following you, that's a, in <laughs> your cohort, Kim Po, just taking a walk. <laughs> so yeah, go ahead. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and I think, I mean, another thing we talked about today or in the last few days was like prototypical leadership and the fact that leadership is modeling in a lot of ways um, is just like, if you aren't willing to do the thing itself, why would anybody do it with you? Um, And not necessarily, yeah, why would anybody follow you? But yeah, why would anybody do it with you? And that's kind of what we want. And I think what's very cool about collective leadership um, and I think true good leadership is that it is inherently relational. It has to be. And like, it's been so cool to be able to do these things in a relational way. And if we actually want to take that back to our school and make real change or see real um, real influence. I think that it, it, we have to be able to model it relationally too. Like if we are going to start modeling honesty and um, like we have to be honest with each other. I mean, Eli and I are both on each other's square squad, which is a super mm-hmm. cool thing to know this week of just like, all right, then we can actually come back and model that in a way that you wouldn't be able to model right. that alone or right. it would be harder. Um, so that's a gift. Yeah. No, that's so good to hear and, and such an encouragement. So, the last thing I'll ask about the cohort is you met a lot of people from a bunch of different states, different countries. What was the benefit of that network? Because you you lived in dorms together. You ate meals together. You were in our homes together. We were doing crazy stuff. There were late night sing-alongs. There were all these things going on. What do you walk away with with your network? Because you came together, but then you didn't just stick with each other. You were out meeting all kinds of people, sometimes together, sometimes apart. What was that network effect like for you? Yeah, I mean, I think it was fun. It was so fun. Mm. Um, I just think that's one of the biggest takeaways for me Mm -hmm. was just like, I laughed so much harder this week than I've laughed in a long time and and learned. Like, Mm -hmm. it was so enriching because both of those things happened. Um, So that was just like a huge takeaway I'm very grateful for. Um, But I think like a lot of what I took away was just that as a young educator, particularly in Christian education, I I mean, I'm friends with a, a lot of my peers right now 
they're going into, you know, careers in tech. They're going into things that are going to, frankly, make them more money and probably, I mean, in our society, give them more prestige, right? That's a lot of the conversations that people I know and at my age are having. And the fact that I'm choosing education just mm-hmm. often feels like it's the wrong choice in those circles. It feels weighty. It feels looked down on in different ways. And in a lot of ways, it's, I feel like I'm just teaching, which is mm-hmm. right. That, that idea we try to push back against. And for me, what I think I want to take back um, to my friends who are young teachers is just, I've been so affirmed in the legitimacy of mm-hmm. education Yeah. Um, and just like meeting so many people who are legitimately good educators yeah. and like being in a program that is that holds weight, like it, mm-hmm. ju- it just has affirmed the legitimacy of that in a way that I I needed. I needed. Well, if you need to give me some phone numbers to call and just <laughs> let them know that education is the profession that makes theirs possible, yep. I'm happy happy to do that. And give them a little snark right back. Yep. So I've got a list. That's good. It's, good. it's hey. just my contacts. <laughs> yeah, that's, all. <laughs> that's, it. that's all right. We'll just call down those. All right. Yeah. They're not getting the smooth calls. All right. No. No. So yeah, Eli. What about you? Yeah, I I know I knew the answer to this in my head right right as you were asking it, and the scene is is really what we're just coming from. So right before this podcast, we were all in the in this larger auditorium, and and you and and Matt Thomas are reading off basically encouragement and things that you believe in and see in uh, cohort three and cohort two who's coming before us, and it just happened. It kind of washed over me this this recognition of. Uh, there is a large group here who possess grit in their mm. optimism, I think yeah. is the phrase that you read off yeah. for one of those yeah, individuals. Gritty optimism. Yeah. And for me, the the last two years as principal have been remarkably difficult. Mm. And, and I think educators who are listening to this and, and admin who are listening to this can probably resonate with that. It's been remarkably difficult. And at the lowest of lows, I've thought about quitting the profession and I've thought about what else could I be doing that mm. might make more or do more. And and the way I'm feeling right now, and I don't think it's just because we've had this experience or because I'm coming out of that room where I am, but it, it, the way that, I, that it feels right now is, no, this is a thing that others around me also believe in. Mm. And I've seen and heard about their schools over the last 10 days and the things that they're doing there, and they're doing good things. Yeah, no, that's good. Uh, we're going to wrap things there. I'll let you give the last word of advice for ed- for educators that are listening. But gritty optimism is the opposite of the naive optimism that sometimes new teachers get banged on for, which is completely unfair. But it's gritty optimism that's grounded in the fact that we've seen progress made. We know these things can happen, and our optimism is grounded in the reality that we can be more. So, yeah. Uh, Word of advice for educators. What would you leave them with, Sierra? And then we'll wrap up with Eli. Man, a word of advice for educators. I think that I, I would just have to say, kind of harkening back a little bit to the Phil Schultz effect, if we yeah. will. Um, yeah, just be you. Yeah. I think that for That's myself, good. the reason that I am an educator, the reason that I came back to my school is because I loved education. I believed in the lofty goals, all that fun stuff. But it's because I wanted to be like my teachers. It's mm. because my individual teachers that I had were the kind of people I wanted to be yeah. like. And like Love they that. encouraged those things in me. So Love it. Yeah, and I'd say surround yourself with people who will be relentlessly honest with you. Mm. It's mm-hmm. not normal, and it's really, really good. Yeah, mm. yeah, truth and love. Love it. Well, hey, thank you for both being on. I really enjoyed talking to you, and I've loved having you in the cohort. Thank you so yep. much. Thanks. Yeah.
I'm always grateful when we get two leaders from the same school who can talk about their different views of the same thing. And as you hear them talk about the optimism that they have that's grounded in the reality of hard context, but amazing things and the wonder that they see when a kid sees a lake for the first time and can just sit there in awe and take in that beauty and that common grace that comes from that experience and the way they weave that into their school. And again, being in Colorado, it's a nice place to to be in school, certainly. But the beauty that we have and the relationship that we have between educators and students, that reality that Sierra and Eli have, they get to work together and they get to serve kids together. And then in a master's cohort, they can have that shared experience where we get this glimpse of eternity, where we live in the overflow of the relationship that's in the Trinity, that then is expressed in the way we get to relate to others in the profession that makes all of this possible. I hope this conversation was encouragement and have a great week. Thanks for listening. This podcast is brought to you by Baylor Center for School Leadership. 